Welcome to the Breathe Easy Critical Perspective Podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and in this podcast, we interview leaders and experts in critical care. And for today, we go to Ann Arbor, Michigan, to discuss physician agreement in diagnosing ARDS. Okay, um, so could you please go ahead and introduce yourself? So my name is Michael Schroding. Uh, I'm an assistant professor in pulmonary critical care at the University of Michigan. And I am generally interested in studying the Q respiratory distress syndrome and particularly how we can better uh, identify patients with this syndrome to better care for them and also better study them. So your group um, wrote a really interesting article entitled Differences between patients in whom physicians agree and disagree about the diagnosis of ARDS and was published in the Annals of ATS in February of 2019. I was hoping you could just share with us as to why you performed the study. Yeah, so this study was really a natural next step for me in terms of research I had already done on the topic. Uh, I started getting interested in this topic when I was more generally interested in trying to understand what happens when we try to study clinical syndromes that don't have perfect gold standard definitions and how does that impact how we should uh, perform these studies and what are the consequences of that characteristics of this condition on study outcomes. And so it really started a few years ago when I published another study, actually, in the annals of uh, American Thoracic Society in 2016, where we were really interested in understanding um, what's the impact of the study of low-reliability clinical syndromes in general, um, particularly looking at ARDS, and we ran some statistical simulations to understand what's the impact of these results on clinical study power, and the results were quite shocking. So, you know, under this sort of standard conditions in which we identify patients with ARDS and enroll them in clinical trials, what we found is that it really hurts power, and power uh, studies are likely quite underpowered um, to detect differences if they if they truly exist. And so that was really the motivation uh, behind this work is how can we get better? How can we understand um, why it's difficult to to really capture and identify patients with ARDS and how can we be smarter about doing so to inform uh, our clinical research and clinical care. So how did you perform your study and um, how does it differ from previous studies on the same topic? We basically started out with a group of my colleagues from the University of Michigan. I found six uh, critical care, pulmonary critical care attendings, and seven upper-level fellows, and basically had them all review uh, patients' charts who were hospitalized at Michigan with acute hypoxemic respiratory failure. So basically assigned up all these patients to be reviewed by this cohort or this this group of reviewers. And we had already developed what I would describe as a data abstraction tool for reviewing charts for the diagnosis of ARDS, because this is something I have been working on for a while. Um, 
the abstraction of clinical information from the electronic health record and making an assessment, did this patient develop ARDS during the hospital stay? So using that tool, I had this group of reviewers, including faculty and fellows, review this large set of patients. And in, in doing this tool and in, in working through this abstraction tool, they're first asked questions regarding each of the clinical criteria uh, for the diagnosis of ARDS. Was it acute and onset? Um, was there a clear risk factor? Was there bilateral airspace disease on imaging? And was uh, cardiac edema or volume overload not likely to be the primary cause of the presentation? And so then after they review all these things on the abstraction tool, then they're asked, did this patient develop ARDS? That the the idea behind it is to really prime them to, to to delve deeply into a patient's chart and think about the intricacies of the case before they make an overall assessment. And so uh, this group of reviewers, faculty and upper-level fellows, reviewed this large group of patients with acute hypoxemic respiratory failure in this way. And we really wanted to choose patients with acute hypoxemic respiratory failure because this is the cohort that matters. You know, this is the cohort that we're deciding whether these patients have ARDS to be enrolled in clinical trials, or this is the cohort in which when we're at the bedside, we're trying to make decisions about treating these patients if they have a diagnosis of ARDS. And so once this cohort was reviewed, we basically broke them up into three categories. So... There were patients in this cohort that clearly had ARDS. Clear manifestations of ARDS, everyone agrees. Everyone who looks at this patient says, yes, this patient clearly has ARDS. Then there's patients that are sort of borderline because one physician might say, yeah, it's ARDS. Another physician might not. So this is the category of patient that we call the disagreement category. And then the final category was clearly not ARDS. This patient met acute hypoxemic respiratory failure criteria but did not have ARDS. And by the way, let me just interject really fast and say that our criteria for being reviewed, this uh, acute hypoxemic respiratory failure was uh, invasive mechanical ventilation with a PDAF less than 300 while on the ventilator. So for this study, at least, we didn't consider patients on like high-flow nasal cannula or BiPAP. So once all these patients were reviewed and, and they were categorized into these three groups, um, clear ARDS disagreement, and then clearly no ARDS. Then we basically ask, um, what were the differences between these patients? Was there something unique about these groups that gave us a better sense of why it's hard to distinguish ARDS or not? And I went into this study with maybe two potential hypotheses for why is it hard. So, Maybe there's something that's just getting in the way. It's hard to diagnose ARDS because there's some characteristic that gets in the way. So this would be something like, well, you know, it's heart failure patients. Whenever a heart failure patient shows up, and they, it's always hard, hard to distinguish uh, cardiogenic and non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. So that, that was one potential hypothesis. It's heart failure, or maybe it's obesity because, uh, you know, on the, it's hard to interpret images of obese patients. So that's, that's a hypothesis that there's some unique characteristic of patients that make it hard. The other hypothesis is that maybe it's simply that 
ARDS has a spectrum of manifestations um, from sort of subtle manifestations to very clear overt manifestations. And, uh, you know, even though we have a Berlin definition, which seems to clearly describe patients with or without a clinical syndrome, you know, there's a lot of interpretation that goes on there. And physicians just disagree on where to set a cut point on a spectrum. So this is sort of the, the hypothesis that there's a spectrum. And so in doing this study and asking questions about these different categories of patients, back to what I was talking about before, ARDS patients, disagreement, ARDS, uh, disagreement patients, and no ARDS patients, trying to really sort of tease out which of those potential mechanisms is making it more difficult to, to categorize these patients and making physicians disagree. So that's really, uh, that was really the, how we performed the study as well as sort of what we're going to try to ascertain in, in, in doing this study. Oh, that's a really good overview. So what were your primary findings? So we found a few things that were quite interesting. Number one, uh, disagreement in the diagnosis of ARDS was pretty common. And, you know, I, as a researcher in this field, am aware that, you know, there's going to be disagreement uh, in the diagnosis of ARDS if you ask, you know, two physicians to look at a set of charts. And I know this because, you know, we've it's well described that the inter-rater reliability uh, for inter for de determining whether a patient has ARDS is not perfect. I showed this and others have shown this before me. But it's still sort of surprising when you actually calculate rates of agreement and disagreement, like what the result is. So in this study of 740, 738 patients, 110 of those patients had clear ARDS that everyone agrees upon, and 100 had disagreement. So really, almost as many patients as had ARDS had, agree had disagreement. So that was the first surprising thing. The second surprising thing was that for individual reviewers in the study, individual participants, their own individual rate in which they decided this patient has ARDS among this cohort of patients with acute hypoxic respiratory failure also varied pretty remarkably. So I think the numbers were that the person, the reviewer who had the lowest rate of diagnosis of ARDS was 8%, and the person with the highest rate was 47%. So not to overinterpret these results, but what it suggests is that, you know, there's some people who are very strict in their application of the Berlin definition, and others are very liberal. And the result is this wide spectrum of diagnosis rates among reviewers. And so then when we looked at sort of these different groups, you know, the clear ARDS patients, the disagreement patients, and the no ARDS patients, you know, there wasn't anything that stood out, obviously, between them. So we looked at the comorbidity difference, particularly because, as I mentioned, my first hypothesis was maybe there's some unique characteristic about certain patients that make them difficult to categorize. And so what we, when we looked at, you know, things like morbid obesity, congestive heart failure, 
chronic kidney disease, liver disease. You know, there really wasn't a lot of, of differences between these groups, and there was nothing clearly that stood out. This is a patient. This is a characteristic that makes it harder to diagnose patients. So it didn't seem to be one of those things was a, an explanatory factor. We also looked at measures of severity, physiologic measures of lung severity of illness, like the PDEF ratio and lung compliance, dead space fraction. And you know there was there was alignment between those measures and whether or not it, the patient was clearly had ARDS. So, so patients with clear ARDS had lower PDF ratios, lower lung compliance, uh, lower dead space fraction. But it wasn't a clear cut, meaning like lots of patients had a low PDF, PDF ratio at, at one point that didn't have ARDS, and some patients with ARDS had a high PDF ratio at some point. So it w there wasn't just this clear demarcation at all, although there was this general trend toward worse severity of lung injury based on these, these, these measures in patients who had clear manifestations of ARDS. The third thing we did see is that, you know, when we looked at these groups, clear ARDS disagreement and no ARDS, they did have differences in outcomes. Um, so, when you look at outcomes like days of severe hypoxemia, which we defined as a PDF ratio less than 100, or ventilator-free days, this group uh, where everyone says, yes, this patient clearly has ARDS, they had the most days of severe hypoxemia and the lowest ventilator-free days. So three days of severe hypoxemia on average and 14 ventilator-free days. And this, these were uh, significantly worse than the disagreement category and the no ARDS category. But on the other hand, when you just look at their raw in-hospital mortality rates, patients with ARDS and patients with disagreement in the diagnosis, they had pretty similar mortality rates, 37% and 35%. So, you know, even though these patients where there was disagreement you know, may not have had clear manifestations of ARDS, they're still really sick, and they still had a high mortality. So I think that's really an important finding that, you know, just because you don't have clear manifestations of ARDS doesn't mean you necessarily can't have a high mortality, potentially from something else or potentially from ARDS, but it's just ambiguous manifestations. And then I think the final sort of take-home from the findings was that the risk factor mattered. So, you know, as part of our process of evaluating charts, uh, the reviewers were um, instructed to clearly evaluate and identify potential risk factors for ARDS. And so, you know, we looked at standard risk factors, pneumonia, sepsis, non-cardiogenic shock, trauma, aspiration, etc. And patients who had a clear set of risk factors and then had manifestations of acute hypoxemia, those were the patients who were most likely to have the clear manifestations of ARDS, the patients where everyone agreed upon. So in particular, if you had a pneumonia and you had shock, 
and your P to F ratio was less than 100, it was that, those patients were almost universally patients with ARDS that everyone agreed upon. And it's kind of interesting that there, there's nothing in that set of criteria to describe what the chest X-ray showed. Uh, you don't even need a chest X-ray in that circumstance to know this is going to clearly be ARDS that everyone agrees upon. On the other hand, if you were a patient who didn't have pneumonia, didn't have shock, and a PDF ratio of over, I think, around 180 to 200, you almost universally did not have ARDS. And so that really was a nice finding because it really aligned with some of the our, our conceptual understanding of what ARDS is and some of tra translational work and uh, bench work from before. You know, there's this concept of uh, direct lung injury, indirect lung injury, and patients who seem to have both of those things, pneumonia and shock, and, and severe hypoxemia, those were the patients that had the most clear manifestations of ARDS. But at the same time, you know, there was no clear findings that could differentiate a single group. Just highlighting again sort of the, the murkiness of the clinical definition of ARDS and the murk, murkiness of trying to understand why some patients are just hard to characterize. So, I mean, I think the word murky is pretty interesting and probably pretty accurate. So how did, when you got these results, how would you interpret them or how should readers of your article interpret your findings? And what would you say are the major limitations of these findings? Number one, I think the findings of this article were more supportive of the concept that ARDS is a clinical spectrum of manifestations. And, you know, some physicians are really strict in applying the Berlin definition of ARDS to patients and only patients with the most clear manifestations of ARDS. They distinguished as such, whereas other other physicians were much more liberal in in identifying patients with ARDS. And one of, one of the challenges of that finding was that, you know, the P to F ratio, at least in our study, didn't really good, do a good job as, as acting as a surrogate for patients with clear ARDS manifestations or not. Uh, I think the correlation between um, you know that spectrum, and whether ARD, whether the patient has a P to F ratio that was low, was 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 fairly weak. So, I think that's that's one important finding from the result that at least at this point there isn't a clear. It's hard to to make a clear dichotomy between patients who clearly have ARDS and, and clearly do not, and so when we design our research studies or when we think about studying this problem or treating patients with this problem, it's important to sort of have that recognition when you're designing uh, such studies or when you're in clinical practice 
you know, if there is a treatment that we're going to administer to patients um, that may have risk or um, have side effects, recognizing that it, we should be much more aggressive about administering such a treatment to patients who, who very clearly um, manifest the clinical presentation of RDS. Whereas if we have a treatment that is uh, less risky without side effects, we can be much more liberal. And we need better measures than a P to F ratio to define that spectrum because the P to F ratio alone is, isn't going to be adequate. At least in our study, we found that PDF ratio can be useful, particularly in the context of the presentation. So in particular, patients with, with a well-known clear risk factor for ARDS who then had a low PDF ratio, those are the patients that were clearly the ones with the most manif manifestations of ARDS. So in that regard, um, one thing that the Berlin definition of ARDS did, which I think this my current study really supports, is that the Berlin definition of ARDS talked about the importance of identifying the ARDS risk factor. And that was necessary, particularly um, for sorting out cardiogenic and non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. And my and this study result uh really sort of supports that. that a clear ARDS risk factor and the right clinical manifestations really is indicated of, of of ARDS. And so that is the context in which we can be quite confident this is a patient with ARDS. We should treat them as such. Of course, my study has limitations, um, and I'll just note a few right now. Uh, you know, my, all my work to date has really been retrospective in nature. So this means after a patient has had their entire hospitalization, I ask a reviewer to review the chart in detail to determine whether or not uh, they had ARDS. This has benefits and downsides. You know, on the one hand, uh, when you're reviewing the entire chart, you really get you really get a sense of the course of a patient's entire history um, and to see how they responded, see see what their outcomes were. And so perhaps in, in that way, um, you can get, you can do a better job of really d determining whether or not the patient met the clinical syndrome of ARDS. But on the other hand, um, you know, that's not what we need for clinical practice. We need to understand the limitations of the definition in real time for uh, patients, when you're looking at them at the bedside, either for making treatment decisions or um, for dec decisions about enrollment in clinical trials or something like that. So that that's one limitation. The other is that, you know, I had a group of 13 physicians reviewing patients for ARDS, and this these findings are largely based on the, those 13 physicians reviewing the charts, and it was a pretty large group in a diverse group. Um, but they all are at uh, at a single center, so I think it would be interesting to um, to have been able to add reviewers from other centers trained in other venues, other countries, 
to to uh, to see if there were uh, additional differences or if the findings were unchanged. On the other hand, I think uh, we do know that you know despite all the reviewers being from the same center, there was a lot of variation among them, and that's evidenced by the fact that the di diagnosis rates among reviewers were quite broad in their range. I think uh, that particular finding is interesting when you consider previous epidemiologic studies of ARDS. So uh, previous studies have reported ARDS prevalences, one in, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but of quite wide prevalence ranges. And there's been a lot of under, uh, discussion about why that is, and my study offers some additional context that depending on how you're defining patients with ARDS, how liberally you're applying the definition, uh, you can get quite different results in terms of prevalence interpretation. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper there. Um, I, I was also intrigued, as you said, by the fact that despite it being a single center and you're having um, uh, that number of reviews, that there was still so much uh, disagreement. You had mentioned earlier the fact that there's a, a disease spectrum for ARDS, um, but it also appears, my interpretation of what you told me, that there seems to be a spectrum in terms of clinician subjectivity, which um, it actually it sounds like it's fairly common and fairly important um, and something that actually isn't factored in uh, when patients are probably enrolled into clinical trials or um, uh, in, involved in clinical studies. Maybe you could comment on that? Yeah, I completely agree uh, with with that. Um, you know, we, we underappreciate the subjectivity in these labels that we're providing patients. Uh, for clinical trials and translational studies, um, and we haven't really, um, really recognized the fact that there is so much su subjectivity when we uh, make a decision about enrolling a patient into a trial. And I do think we need to think about that hard uh, when when we're designing our next studies. In some respects, we've been able to get away with it because we add additional criterion uh, to a clinical trial enrollment. So it's an ARDS patient with a PDF less than 150 or something. That gets us a little bit better, but like I said before, the PDF alone does not define the spectrum of ARDS manifestations perfectly. So that'll only get us so far. So there's a few approaches that one can take, you know, uh, on on one one strategy has been enrolling patients based on a, a response to a therapy. So, for example, this is a clear this is an ARDS patient uh, who has responded to PEEP because um, you know this response to PEEP was part of the original description of patients with ARDS uh, by Ashberg and colleagues back in the day, or by some molecular marker, or um, if 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 that's not uh, align with the clinical trials design, there are other strategies that you can use to sort of reduce the variation in the subjectivity. Uh, one thing that we've thought a lot about is getting multiple physicians involved. So when you think about how diagnosis of 
interstitial lung disease is made. Um, you know, we often have uh, a conference where radiologists and physicians are, are reviewing cases together, and the diagnosis is the uh, is is based on sort of consensus among multiple physicians. Um, sort of a, a much more basic example is when we're deciding if a patient has high blood pressure. Uh, we know that each blood pressure measurement that we take is a little bit noisy, and so we need multiple measurements to get a better sense of whether or not uh, this patient has high blood pressure. And I think ARDS is somewhat similar. You know, there is a lot of variability in um, application of, of a definition. And so if we want to be precise, we need multiple measurements. And I would tell you also that uh, when you don't do that, when you're um, not taking that into context, you know, basic statistical principles apply that when you have a noisy variable, like whether or not a patient has ARDS, uh, these things bias results toward the null. That's just a standard problem in uh, our standard well-described uh, uh, fact when you're when you're when you're doing studies, and we've we've shown that before. So taking into consideration the fact that there's subjectivity and variability, uh, I think is very important. And then another issue that you mentioned was the fact that this was a retrospective study where you asked your uh, clinicians to review the electronic health record, and it seems as though a recurring theme from this approach is, as you've already alluded to, the, the very noisy data that you have to sift through, the fact that it can't be done prospectively. And a lot of times you can't factor in the effect of different interventions on uh, the d disease course. Um, how do you see, um, do you think it's even going to be feasible to be able to do these large uh, uh, database analyses prospectively? Um, and what would it take? Does your group have that in mind, or did you, are you aware of any other groups that are planning such prospective analyses? Yeah, you know, it's for us it's been mostly theoretical, but um, I have awareness that people have at least thought about this issue. So you know, what I've shown previously is since the chest X-ray is, is sort of the most ambiguous and the most difficult to interpret, um, you know, in real time, when you're considering enrollment of a clinical trial, somehow allowing the chest X-ray to be interpreted by multiple physicians, getting a consensus on whether the chest X-ray is consistent with ARDS, uh, could be quite helpful uh, in Im improving the fidelity of, a, of, of trial enrollment. This could mean pinging a handful of clinical experts to, and then sending the image electronically to them um, so they can, in close to real time, reviewing it and decide whether the x-ray is consistent. So we have thought about that. We aren't doing that currently. I think uh, with, with increasing technology, these things are possible. I think there has been a little bit of, of the hope that with increasing data collection, uh, real-time 
data collection and real-time analytics that, you know, we can just use the data that we have and we can identify new findings, find new results. But that's increasingly becoming clear that you know, for certain circumstances, the, the data quality we have is, is imperfect. And so uh, we, we still need to do things to improve the data quality that is, is, is allowing us to make decisions such as, does this patient have ARDS? So um, how do you think your study advances our understanding of ARDS? And how do you think it's going to influence our future clinical research or clinical practice? Yeah, you know, I think I, I, I think the study really sort of highlights the challenges of the study of this syndrome, and it gives a little bit of a way forward. So, you know, when when we analyzed our results and wanted to understand which risk factors or whether or not a P to F ratio was really associated with ARDS. We didn't use just the result of a single physician. We generated a, a probability distribution where each patient was assi assigned their likelihood of ARDS based on the review of multiple physicians, recognizing that the there was variation among physicians and each physician wasn't perfect. So this type of approach to get us closer to truth in terms of a pa does a patient have ARDS is, is quite possible. For example, we did this before in another study where we uh, tried to build a simple model to improve detection of ARDS, and we trained the model to identify patients with ARDS based on clinical factors from the electronic health record. But during the training of the model, we told the model, pay the most attention to the cases in which everyone thinks has ARDS. These are the cases that you don't want to miss. So weight those most heavily. In these cases where uh, there was disagreement or uncertainty, pay less attention to them. If you get those wrong, it's not as big of a deal. And that actually uh, has been done before. I'm not the first person to uh, think about studying ARDS in this way. There was a paper in CHEST years ago from the University of Pennsylvania group who also sort of described an approach where during the review whether or not determining whether or not a patient had ARDS, chest x-rays that were just not interpretable, um, those types of patients were simply excluded. And so they looked at just patients where they could clearly say they did not have ARDS and patients that they could clearly say did have ARDS and just analyzed those groups to understand genetic risk factors or other types of biologic factors associated with the diagnosis. So there are approaches, I think, that are feasible even when we do have a murky clinical syndrome that doesn't have a gold standard. And I think in using those types of approaches, we can gain additional precision. You know, we're looking for you know, biologic markers that are clearly identifying patients with the clinical syndrome of ARDS, which is 
you know, non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema due to inflammatory lung injury. You know, that's what we would wish for, clinical biological markers that identify that condition. We're never going to find those markers if we don't consider the fact that we don't have a perfect gold standard in which we can assess those markers on. So we have to take the strategies that I've been describing to account for diagnostic uncertainty and um, variability in interpretation. In terms of clinical practice, I think that's a little bit more tricky because, you know, a lot of the research we've done to date hasn't really um, accounted for this spectrum of clinical manifestations of ARDS or variability in the diagnosis of ARDS. You know, the one study we have that clearly shows mortality benefit low tidal volume ventilation, you know, it's a therapy that has less harm, uh, and so I think you can be quite um, liberal in uh, providing that therapy to any patient that you think may have ARDS. Pa uh, therapies that are you know, potentially more invasive or more harmful, we have to be much more judicious and hold ourselves to a higher standard when deciding, does this patient have ARDS? Can these patients benefit from a specific therapy? But I would say that this approach is not uh, unfamiliar to physicians. You know, we always think about making clinical decisions in the term of how likely is a patient to have a condition, what is the likely benefit of a particular treatment for this condition, and what is the likely harm. And so I think conceptualizing ARDS in this way uh, is not unreasonable and something physicians frequently do. Yeah, that's a pretty good oversight. So in terms of, I mean, we always do these studies, and once the study is concluded, we're like, oh, my gosh, maybe I should have thought of that, or I could have done this a bit better. So uh, for the benefit of hindsight in 2020 Envision, what would you have changed about your study design and what would you encourage researchers to consider when designing similar studies to improve your work? Yeah, I think if I were to do this study again, I think I would have tried to embed more qualitative methods into the approach. You know, I'd like to really understand when a physician has difficulty in deciding, does this patient have ARDS or does do they not have ARDS, just to be able to ask them why, to really sort of get a better understanding of, of like, where where is the gaps, where, like, where is the, where, where are the challenges that they're having in making this interpretation? Because in this study, you know, we were only able to analyze that indirectly by sort of asking, well, was there a clinical characteristic of these patients? Um, that were more commonly seen in patients with disagreement. You know, I think I think some sort of pr prompting or, or qualitative approach might have helped uh, to get at that even better than than what we did. Uh, I would have also uh, liked to uh, understand the impact of uh, certain types of clinical data to physicians in when helping to make their interpretation. So, for example, you know, a, 
an open question is, well, you know, the chest X-ray is difficult to interpret, so maybe if only we had something else, uh, we could do a lot better at phenotyping these patients. And so, the, you know, the easiest, not the easiest, but a, a common thing available now is, is the CT scan. So, like, trying to understand, does that CT scan really help in, 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 in allowing physicians to characterize patients and uh, determine whether or not a patient has ARDS or not. Or perhaps it's not a CT scan, perhaps it's some additional information at the bedside, like what, it, what additional information should we have gotten to help characterize these patients? So I, I think I would have, there's always more that you can do. It's a lot of work to uh, review 700 patients by multiple reviewers for the diagnosis of ARDS. So you, it's difficult to go back and review them again. You get like one shot, but if I were to get that shot over, I think those were those were the type of the additional data that I, I would uh, want to have gathered to, to do a better job in sort of answering some of these questions that we set out to ask. Yeah, well, I definitely applaud you and your team for a pretty mammoth project. Um, as we come towards the end of this podcast, is there anything that um, you think we need to discuss, anything that we haven't covered yet um, that you were thinking about uh, while preparing uh, for this podcast? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in thinking about ARDS and studying this clinical syndrome, you know, and when you read papers from me or from others about how difficult it is to study the syndrome or we just disagree about the diagnosis, um, it, can, it can easily fall into sort of um, be negative about this whole line of research. And, and I, despite, you know, having, having – I'm going to start that again. Despite having struggled through this field for so long, you know, I'm – Whenever I go back and re re read the original description by Ashbaugh of how he described patients with ARDS, or even when I read the Berlin definition of ARDS um, and reflect on my own clinical practice, um, you know, I can remember in my head certain patients who just clearly met the had the clinical syndrome of ARDS, and those patients were very sick. And understanding how those patients got there is highly motivating. So th these patients are out there with clear manifestations of ARDS who are clearly sick, who need our help. And so I think that's that continues to motivate me despite the challenges of this field, the complexities of ARDS, the heterogeneity. Um, it is a, ARDS continues to be something that's, that's worth investing our time to understand and to study uh, as we get, as we move towards uh, better understanding of epidemiology and better understanding of treatment. So I just wanted to conclude on a positive note, despite uh, the fact that, you know, my research that we published really sh highlights the challenges of this field. Yeah, and it definitely gives us um, the reason to pause, but as you said, um, really impressive work. And uh, thank you very much for joining us, Michael, um, and all the best for your future research. We'll be looking out and seeing what you publish in the future. Well, thank you very much for taking the time today. You too. Take care. A big thank you to Dr. Michael Schoding 
And a big thank you to all of you for listening to the Breathe Easy Critical Perspective podcast. I'm Dominique Pepper with the American Thoracic Society, 